chapter number one, 2 Kings chapter number one. It's good to be back in the Lord's house and in camp meeting again. Thank you, Brother Hyatt, for the good preaching. Yes, sir. I appreciate that from the depths of my heart. So thankful the Lord give us a good day of traveling today where we could safely arrive and be together in the fellowship. 2 Kings chapter number 1, we're going to start our reading with verse number 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel? that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. When the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent uh, unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him. Behold, he sat on the top of an hill, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Lord, we need your help tonight. Thank you for helping the man of God. And I need your help now as we preach. I pray that you give us leadership, still our hearts, give us a hearing ear. Precious Holy Ghost, I pray for your direction and your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. 
want you to notice verse number 10. These words, if I be a man of God. If I be a man of God. This is a wicked time in Israel. And Israel has seen many of these times. There's been times when they've repented and turned, gotten right with God. Anytime that's taken place, it's usually by the judgment of God. And God has given His man to preach the Word of God. I'm thankful tonight. I know I'm unworthy. I'm thankful to be saved by the grace of God and to be a man of God. Amen. I'm not advertising that. I'm not boasting that. I didn't ask to be in this way, but the Lord put me in this way. Right. And God has done that down through the ages. He has chosen a man and called a man to deliver a word to a people. But in spite of everything that takes place, there seems to be a pull and a nature in mankind to always want to turn away from God. I'm thankful that God has a man. And uh, these were wicked days. Uh, Israel had a wicked king, and he worshipped Baal, uh, these false gods. And, And Baal was, the worship of Baal was in idolatry. Anytime there is idolatry, it is empowered by demons. And the worship of idolatry always leads to sexual immorality. That's right. As you can see, the example of the nation in which you and I live tonight, right. it has been given over to idolatry, rebellion against God, now turned to the very lowest of sexual immorality. It is a wicked time. It's a time where we need a man of God. And uh, no matter how wicked it gets, as long as God still has a man, there is a man that needs to come forth from the wilderness and say, Thus saith the Lord. Amen. And uh, that's the greatest need of this hour. My personal opinion, I'm not exalting me. But I feel like the most important man in America tonight is the man of God. Uh, It's not the president. It's not the Congress nor the Senate. But it is the man of God. The man of God is the most important man. He is the man in this hour that needs to be on the forefront. A man that is fearless of the people's faces. That will isolate himself with God. When, when Elijah came forth to preach and give the word of the Lord and, and say, Thus saith the Lord, he always came forth from a wilderness place. He never sought a time to party or to fellowship or to make himself known. But when there was sin, God gave a word the man of God would come forth and say, Thus saith the Lord, and turn and go back. We read this text, and we're familiar with the hour in which we live, and any time there is such a (coughs) 
prevailing power of worldliness and wickedness. Somehow God's people get to the place that they lose the importance and the respect for the man of God. And when we read this text, the Bible's telling us about a, a wicked king. And he's been under an evil influence. And I don't understand the details. Some men say he's on the rooftop walking, falling through a, a lattice-covered skylight. Some say he's along a banister, and he's falling from a loft or a balcony that, 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 that's along the upper edge of his, his bedroom area. But he's fallen down, and he's injured himself, and this injury turns in to some type of infection or damage to the inner organs, and he's suffering. He's on his bed, and he's suffering. And so the word comes before the Lord, and the action of this king, that he sends messengers to go and inquire of an idol, a false god, a demon. Shall I live? Will I come down off of this bed? And the word comes before the Lord. He sees the king turning from God. And he says, is there not a God in Israel? Is there not a God left in America? Is there not a God still up in the mountains? Is there not a God still in existence in the cities of this, this good land? This land that is turned from God. And so, yes, there is still a God. And God still has a man. That, this text helps me to understand the importance of not quitting. This is a discouraging day. This is a day when a lot of men of God have gotten discouraged. You can never be, and far be it from me, to try to preach or to exhort men of God. But I just preached the text of the message tonight. God help us to, to abstain from weakness in this hour. Amen. Amen. When Elijah came forth and he spoke to these servants, he told them to turn and take a message back to the king that he was not going to come down off of that bed, but he was going to die. When they turned and went back and gave the message, He said, who is this? We don't know. Well, what did he look like? Are you hearing me? It matters about the mannerism and the appearance of the man of God. They said, well, he came out and he was a hairy man. The Bible says, with a girdle of leather about his loins. Without hesitation, Ahaziah said, it is Elijah. It is the man of God. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not being funny. I don't know about the hairy part or, or the leathern girdle. But when they gave the description of Elijah, this wicked king knew immediately right. who right. he was. Right. I wonder if the hardware stores and the little, little communities about where we pastor at know that we're men of God. For my area in McDonald, Tennessee, it's a small area. But I'm not trying to build a name for myself. 
I'm pretty much an isolated person in my personality. But I often wonder, do, do they know that there is a man of God in this area? Do they know that there is a preacher Amen. that is still st- standing strong? Amen. You see, Elijah's uh, appearance and his, his personality was a lot like John the Baptist. That's right. Jesus was right. speaking about John the Baptist. And he said, uh, he said to those gathered around him, he said, what did you, what did you Israel, go out to what see when you heard this man in the wilderness crying out, repent? What an unusual message. You see, Israel thought that they were saved by their genetics. But that wasn't so. John the Baptist stepped on the scene and said, you're wicked. You need to turn from your ritualistic uh, religion and repent of your sin. Nobody can get saved without repentance. That's right. And John the Baptist came on the scene and said, you must repent. And Jesus said, when you went out to see this prophet, what went, went you out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? A little form of a very skinny cane that every time a breeze stirred a little bit, it always shook. It would either either bow to the north or bow to the south or to the east or the west. We're suffering in this nation because we've had too many reed-type preachers that are always bowing, trying to feel out the feelings of their wives and daughters and their sons and adjust the message. Always feeling out uh, the temperament of the congregation to bow this way and to bow that way. Thus we have exactly what we have tonight. He said, what went you out to see? Someone wearing soft clothing, which belongs to those that live in king's houses, literally making reference to those that live in king's houses that are wealthy, and their wealth caused them to turn to sin. It literally means a reference to an effeminate behavior, an effeminate appearance. And we're living in a day when this effeminate nature is taken over. Amen. When I was a little boy, that was back when fathers took their sons to old-timey barber shops. Yes, sir. They had the little red and blue things on the outside. And the barber shop was full of farmers and men arguing and fussing about politics and talking about farming and gardening. And, and you sat up and you had two choices. It's either a burr or it's a flat top. You didn't ask for a style. Your mama didn't take, her, take the boy to the beauty parlor. I think I'm preaching to some preachers that have got a woman cutting and fixing your hair. Oh, you look effeminate tonight. You look so cute tonight. You're going down to where uh, uh, the ladies go and get your hair fixed. It looks like your wife has bought a blouse for you to wear to the meeting tonight. And got a, got a fashionable tie to fix with your, your shirt. And, and we've got so much effeminate behavior. 
John the Baptist was not like that. Uh, listen, Elijah was not like that. I don't believe that Moses was like that. I don't think Nehemiah was like that. I don't think Elisha was like that. I know Jesus was not like that. Paul would have never acted that way. And I want to read my Bible and learn how to be a man of God. And so we learn some things in this text. There's some things that are important. Number one is the importance of a preacher. You see what's taking place in this chapter is an act of respecting how you approach a man of God. You need to understand who he is. So Ahaziah sent a captain. And he sent that captain along with 50 men. They found the man of God that preached that word sitting up on a hill. He said, hey, man of God, you need to come down. Elijah said, I don't have to prove the address by which you just addressed me as a man of God. I'll let God prove whether I'm a man of God or not. Yeah, that's right. He said, if I be a man of God, that's right. let fire fall and consume you and your 50. And fire did fall. And it consumed that 50. And Ahaziah found out about it. And he sent another man to go and approach Elijah. And when he approached with his 50, he said in, in verse number 11, he said, oh man of God, come down quickly. I'm tougher than the last guy. Come down now. He said, if I be a man of God, he said, let fire fall and consume thou and thy 50. And it fell. The king sent a third man with his 50. This man's life was changed by what God did to prove. When he approached the man of God, he walked softly. He approached him and he didn't bark any orders about coming down. He was approaching the man of God and asking for mercy. You see, I'm not trying to exalt the man tonight. But I am trying to look at the text and exalt the purpose and the plan and the person and the power that God has chosen to administer His Word. You see the problem in our day, and I feel like we've gone, and the reason why Israel had become what it is is because they had played down the man of God. They had played down the man of God. There's a very familiar verse of scripture in in Hebrews in chapter number 13 and in verse number 17. And it says these words to us, Hebrews and 13 and, and verse number 17. Talking about the man of God, it says, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. You see, I must be faithful. I must press on. There is, I'm just being honest, a lot of discouraging days. It is in my heart to want to see my congregation grow. I don't believe it ought to grow by programs and tricks and 
and, and, and laughter and magicians and, and, and gymnasiums and sports programs. But I want to see it grow as the book of Acts. I want to see the power of God demonstrated. I want to see God save the sinners and, and, and convert them and change their lives. And God calls an increase. I want to see our fellowship get bigger. I want to see people bind together in unity. I want to see the tears again and the altars fill up where moms and dads pray for their daughters and sons. I desire that again. I've read, I don't know about it, but I've read about the revivals long ago where they walked to the house of God and could pass the neighbor's house. And hear them weeping and praying in the woodsheds and out behind on the back porches and praying for their sons and praying for their daughters. All we hear now is the TVs blaring and cell phones are going and, and games are playing and, and fussing are taking place and uh, worldly conversations. But there's no burden anymore. Help us. There's no burden. Help us. It's just about history. Help us. To see young people get under Holy Ghost conviction. Amen. It's just about something of the past. Where is the man of God? Where is the man of God that will stop playing favorites? And he tells us here the importance of the man of God. And so Paul wrote and he said, obey them that have the rule over you. I want to ask you a question. Do you obey your man of God? Do you obey? I'm not talking about a business meeting. I'm not talking about in the men's meeting. That's not what was in view here. That's right, that's right. But I'm talking about what's being preached in the Word of God. Amen. You want my opinion tonight? I think the reason, I think the reason that God is gone from most of our churches and the power of God is missing, that the importance of the man of God has been so played down. I mean, listen, mamas and daddies have sat for so many generations now, chewing their cud with their teeth in their mouth, and the man of God is prayed, and he preaches, and he sweats, and he begs for souls, and tries to turn people from sin and ungodliness, and people sit, and they give body language. They bow their head when there's nothing to look for in the floor. They stare at their kneecap when there's nothing wrong with their kneecap. They thump the songbooks and, and flap their Bibles closed and shrug the shoulder and look at their watch. And little Susie and Johnny's watching all this take place. They hear that preacher preach. They hear him preach about the gossip and the tongue and the backbiting. But mama goes back home as soon as she hits outside the parking lot, picks up the phone and starts texting and, and starts gossiping and talking just like nothing was ever talked about. This is not shouting time tonight, but I'm being honest with you. We've played this coldness and deadness like that man is just the manager 
of this building that's got a steeple on it and we just kind of do a religious favor and flip God a little tip and we're going to show up uh, uh, maybe one service a week or three services a week and sit out on the foam rubber and, and sit there and stand when we stand and sit when we sit and sing when we sing and endure the preaching and go out the door and Thank you, preacher. And where you want to go eat? And uh, uh, you bailing hay? Or what's going on with the week? And and we go on with our life. And in the last ten years, how much of your life has been changed by preaching? We want our children to get saved. So when I look at this text, I see a picture of the importance of the man of God. I also see an, a, a picture of the influence. Of parents. You see, Ahaziah had a mom and dad and a, and a sister. His daddy's name was Ahab. His mama's name was Jezebel. He had a sister named Ahaziah. The whole family was geared and bent in the very fibers of their soul of rebelling against God. You see, this is the same man of God that Jezebel spoke to and threatened his life. Can you imagine threatening the life of a man of God? Getting angry? This was Ahab that he confronted. Uh, that was Ahaziah. That, that was um, uh, his sister uh, that sought to destroy all the royal, rising seed of royalty. That's right, right. They were wicked. They were wicked people. Right. This boy was raised by the influence of his parents. The reason he had no respect for the man of God is because his mother hated the man of God. She despised the man of God. She didn't pay any attention why she would do that little hypocritical thing and and come in to uh, come into the church and have a dress on down to her ankles and and then go back home and put on her Levi's. Boy, brother, yeah. Can I tell you something? Living for God exists in a life of knowing the God that He just preached about. Everything you do is not by what we would call legalism or a forced law, but everything we do about living for God has to do with a love for Jesus Christ in your heart. Amen. Amen. You want to honor Him. You want to live for Him. You see, we've gotten gotten now to where we're just like a reed blowing in the wind. Everything is accepted. We've got our young people fornicating. Our homes are breaking up. Divorcing and remarrying. And all of it is just... Uh, Being just taking it in stride. We're allowing, listen to me, understand what I'm saying. A spirit of sympathy is a good thing to have. But sympathy does not rule over thus saith the Lord. Amen. 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 So we have to continue to preach. And what happens is homes come apart. We're actually, we're actually, uh, we're actually mentioning other, uh, other, other people who have, have been through it and their homes are broke. And we say, why don't you go over there and sister so-and-so's got a son. And his wife has left him. Why don't, why don't you just, just call her. Just call her. 
I think it'll be all right. I I think it'll work out. And and then when it comes down to it, the man of God ducks his head and says, well, I'm the pastor now. I'm the pastor, and you know I, I, we could never have a church wedding, and I couldn't marry you, but, 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 but if you go up to the Smoky Mountains, they've got those little wedding chapels up there, and, or you go down to the courthouse, and you can get married, but you hurry back on your honeymoon now because we want you to sing a special Sunday morning. Go ahead, brother. Now, you see, listen, I'm not being hurtful. Y'all hold your head up. But I'm simply saying, if I was just right here now preaching against double married preachers in the pulpit, we'd all be waving our hands and shouting and saying, preach it, preacher. But what happened? To, what happened? Listen, I believe, listen, I believe the man of God ought to, be, ought to be the husband of one wife. But you know why he should be? Because he's got to preach to a congregation. And, and those men in that congregation need to be the husband of one wife. Right. And those women in the congregation need to be the wife of one husband. All those stipulations of the man of God are stipulations for his office that he walks right and lives right so that he can preach right. You know why? Because all those stipulations for him are stipulations for you. That's right. That's right. You see, this thing is righteous. Not because of a mental effort, but because the Holy Ghost lives inside of us. And he blossoms inside of us to want to honor God. Amen? You don't have to frail all the time. You don't have to frail all the time. You know, I know you're sick of hearing my testimony, but God saved me. God did a work in my heart, changed me. I had a false profession. I didn't know it was false. Everything was right as far as I knew. But I got under the sound of a man of God, and he preached to me, and God did a work in my heart. And he drew me to himself. He broke me, convicted me, and saved my soul. I got up, Brother Hyatt, before I ever got saved. Before I ever got saved, God had worked in my heart that I wanted to be delivered. I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted him to save me. I wanted to live clean. I was tired of the hypocrisy. Nobody had to frail me about getting my hair cut. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nobody had to frail me. I'm not exalting me. I'm exalting Christ. Amen. It's the change. It's the change. He will change you. And this is a power that he affords to the man of God to preach his word and affect people's lives. We need that power in this day. Amen. Amen. We need that power in this day. Change lives. Change lives. That's right. Convert people. It is the power of God that does that. It's the power of God that does that. That old time power. To give us a burden for sinners. Where is our burden for sinners? I asked my mama one time. I didn't know much about my grandparents. My mama's daddy died when I was one year old. 1957. I said, Mama, did Daddy, uh, Papa know God? She said, yes, son. Your you Papa knew God. I'd see her eyes look off into the distance, looking back in her childhood. She told about him a man that farmed in the mountains of North Carolina, outside of Boone, North Carolina, down, nestled down in those hills. And the old road from, went, went from the country up into the Boone. It was a little dirt road. She said it would come through our farm. She said, your papa, 
If it was somebody who's praying for, would recognize the old wagon or, or the old truck coming up the road. And if he was up in the field on top of the hill, he would hear it coming and he'd take his hoe and she said, I can still see him coming down off the hill. And he'd stop by the fence post and that old sinner knew that he was to stop and roll his window down. John Henry Jones. Hey, John Henry, they'd hang their head, Mama would say. John Henry would say, Billy, have you made a change yet? They knew what that meant. They knew what that meant. What's happened to that? What's happened to that power? What's happened to that longing in our churches? This is a camp meeting. And I praise God for the time of fellowship and so good to see friends. It's been a long time and I'm glad we get to eat and I appreciate the hospitality of Brother Owens and, and Brother Milby and, and it's so good to see you. And All of this is part of it. But the preeminent part, the most important part, is to hear from God. And when I see this picture, I see how important parents are. Did you know that God has given the charge to the husband to instruct those children? To raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To put them in mind of God. Personally, And I know the mother's place in the home. But I believe when it comes time to correcting and giving spiritual instruction and saying, no, honey, we're not going to do that and you're not going to have that. I think the mother needs to support that man. That's right. And, And mama needs to learn how to come to an altar and pray. And mama and daddy need to come and get right with God and repent of their ways. And parents need to come together in the home and meet with the children and say, our preacher preached last Sunday and we're making some changes around here. We're going to call that man and tell him to come and pull that black cable out of the house. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Sometimes ladies are soft-hearted. Some of you men, Pastor... Some of us pastor little churches, 15, 20, that may all be senior citizens. The kids get to crying and mama gets to crying and saying, oh, they have no contact. We need to get them an iPad and we need to get some internet and where they can touch base way off in a distance somewhere. Can I be a little old timey and help you a little bit? This preacher says you're making a bad mistake. Right. You're making a bad mistake. Amen. Can I tell Amen. you something? This nation was born off of pioneer God-fearing families that would go out for hundreds of miles and children didn't see anybody. They learned to take a string and a tin can or, or run down to the creek and go fishing and swimming and, and work in the fields and, and play together and love their families together. Right. I'm telling you, and I know you don't like me to touch base on it, but I'm going to be God's man, and I'm going to step out just a minute. And I just want to say this, and I'm not exalting me, but I'm telling you whether you listen or not, you're taking these kids and shoving them into sexual immorality. We were sitting out there. Thursday is our day to get our daughter 
and our son-in-law, he pastors in Ringgold, Georgia. Thursday's our day to get the grandchildren, pick them up at school, bring them home, help them with homework, uh, play with them, go out, do a little volleyball, just have our time with them. We had them recently. My wife saw them just laying over on the table after they'd eat. She started fussing at them. She said, you were up late last night. It was Wednesday night. What time did you go to bed? Emily said, I think it was 10 after 11. My wife said, shame on you. You don't need to be up so late. She said, and they've heard it a hundred times. She said, when I was a little girl, nobody was up past nine. Isaac, 15 years old, laughed. He said, Mama, he said, kids in my school don't go to sleep till three, four, and five o'clock in the morning. I heard him say that, and I said, Isaac, what did you say? He said, some of them don't go to sleep till five in the morning. I said, what are they doing up all night? He said, Paul, they got these phones and iPads, and they slip them under their covers. They're up all night surfing that web and talking, communicating with other kids. I know you're not shouting tonight. You're not very happy at me preaching that. But I'll tell you, I'm trying to preach you something that'll help you. Amen. And if you want to raise a bunch of little whores and Ahaziahs, you just keep on because I'm here to tell you, coming out of our Baptist churches, we're making a great contribution to the filth out there in that world. And it's an abomination before God. This is a picture. It's a picture of respecting the man of God. It's a picture to me and to us that are men of God to understand even in this day, in 2020, we're all talking about, is this going to be the last meeting? Are we not going to have any more camp meetings after? I can't answer any of that. But if I've got a a few days or a week or a year or ten years, Brother Hyde, I didn't volunteer for this and I'm not exalting me and I know that you feel the same way. But I am a man of God. Whether you like my mannerisms or how I make the delivery, I'm just simply saying, He put me there. I didn't volunteer for it. I didn't want to be it. But I promised him after I got saved. I crawled up on the side of a mountain, overwhelmed at the peace that he put in my heart. I promised him that summer night, I'd do anything he told me to do. He said, I want you to preach. I'm trying to help you tonight. I'm trying to say something. Brother Yokely, where are you at? Wave at me. You keep them girls country, boy. Keep them country. Keep them simple. Keep them on the farm. Keep them close to God. Amen. Amen. Brother Logan, God's blessed you. Keep the hell away from them girls. Amen. You raise some virtuous, Brother Logan. You better beware. You better listen to what this preacher's saying. I'm telling you, we're slipping in this day. 
We've gotten weak as men of God. We've turned away. We used to preach on things. I remember when I took my first church in Ash County, North Carolina. These little commissioners kept bumping and trying to get beer into the county. And we, uh, us preachers, would get together and go out and, and, and preach against it. I had, a little, I had a little broadcast, little local radio station up on top of Radio Hill just outside of West Jefferson, North Carolina. I'd get on that radio on Sunday afternoon and I'd take me a message against booze and preach against it. And I'd name them commissioners that tried to get. And I fought against it. You know what? After 45 years, I'm still against beer. I'm still against wine. Listen, I don't go to no Harley Davidson beer joints and take my family and eat a meal. That's right. Amen. No, I'm not going to go in that. No. But I'm not going to go to them Olive Garden beer joints either. Amen. And I'm not, listen now, buckle your seatbelt. I'm not going to go to them Cracker Barrel beer joints. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's no place for a man of God. That's right. Amen. That's no place for a man of God. We're slipping. We're slipping. You see, we feel like appetite governs us. We feel like that sympathy governs us. But it's thus saith the Lord. Do you know why? Do you know why that probably soon that red, white, and blue is going to turn to a rainbow color? Yeah. That's because we give up preaching a long time ago. We're sidestepping things. We're worried about what people think. Well, I went all the way down from 80 to 43 in my church. I'm really not gaining. I'm slipping, Brother Jeremy. And I'm not proud of that. I'd like to have 150. I'd like to see sinners get saved. It's kind of discouraging when you look at it all the time. I know that you know about it. It's discouraging. But I can't compromise and you can't compromise. We need some mamas that will sell out to God. I know you get depressed every time I I get in this way, but I'm not being a... Listen, hey, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to say, hey, uh, listen, hey, them babies are being raised in Sodom and Gomorrah. What's that baby's name? That's right. Naomi. Well, that's a precious name. Naomi. What's Naomi got 20 years from now? I've got a little girl comes to my church. She's a, and I'll just use the correct terminology, she's, she's she's an illegitimate child. Her mama didn't want her. She's, she's a product of drugs and a shack-up affair. Her daddy didn't want her. Her grandmother's dead. Nobody wants her. She lives with a 79-year-old grandpa that can't even hear. She's 14. She's got the maturity level of about an 8-year-old. She's not retarded, but she's never had a mother. She doesn't even know how to take a bath. She doesn't even know how to wash her hair. Her very best friend 
is my wife. 65 years old. Every time my wife gets her, she wants to come over to our house. Every time my wife gets her, she knows she has to go march to the bathtub. She has to go to the kitchen sink and get her hair washed. My wife will go out and buy her some dresses and other ladies in the church. She's a product. Who's going to love her? Who's going to care for her? You understand because of the cesspool? You know why we're in this cesspool? I don't blame it on Mr. Biden or Miss Harris. Oh no. I blame it on the men of God. I blame it on me. I take the blame. It's my fault. We've sidestepped. We've compromised. I know, listen, I'm not apologizing. This is my heart, Brother Milby. This is my heart. I feel this. I, I see this. This is not right. It's not fair that these, we have taken a nation that God has given us and we've trashed it. By compromise and sidestepping. And we have crawled in the bed with the world. God help us. That's right. God help us. So I see a picture of the responsibility of a man of God. And so I'm tired. And I'm not as tired as a lot of old men that have been faithful. And I appreciate Brother Milby's example and other men of God that have gone before us. Brother Matthias and... Others and many have passed away in the last year. And thank God for their steadfastness and their their faithfulness. Thank you, Brother Neil. I appreciate you just... I've never even been to your place, but I think it's up in moonshine country in Kentucky. Out there in the sticks. Thank you for being faithful. And, And be the man of God in that place. You're making a difference there, Brother Neil. You're making an effect there. Brother Hyde, I know you get tired. I know you ask the question, am I doing any good? But Salisbury's got to have you. You didn't put yourself there. God put you there. You've got to keep preaching. We've got to keep living for God. We've got to turn back. We need some mothers to repent. To repent. Repent of what we're doing wrong. Amen. Y'all don't want me to preach to you. I want you young ladies to make sure that you've got God in your heart. Amen. Amen. And you sell out to be a virtuous young lady. That's right. Amen. Don't you do this FaceTime, Facebook, social media. Don't you line yourself up with the world. That's right. Paint your face and put big hula hoop earrings on and whore britches. Advertise yourself. Oh no. Can I, you know, I'm so sick of being reminded of immorality when you go to the house of God and worship. Go ahead. It's an abomination before God. Where's the old fashioned home? Where's the Bible reading? Where's the prayer? TVs are burning hot and iPads and phones and texting. But where's God at? Ethan, you better sell out to have an old time God-fearing family. Amen? Don't get caught up in all that stuff. 
Just be simple. Just fear God. Pray with your wife and pray with your little girl. Get her saved. Somebody better get your family in the ark because the flood's fixing to come. Noah had one focus. Nobody liked Noah. He didn't build a very big church. He didn't have a lot of meetings. But he had a burden for his generation. And he preached to them. He cared for them. So Elijah said, I'll tell you what. If I be a man of God, I'm going to let God answer that. Let fire fall. Can I tell you something? If we don't get back to understanding that God's man is an ambassador for God and humble ourselves to that and start heeding to it and doing what's right. You see, what he told Ahaziah that would happen did happen. That's right, it did. He went up to the bed and he laid on it. And he died just like the man of God said. That's right. So Ahaziah went to hell. That's right. He went to the same place his sister went. That's right. He's in hell with his mother. He's in hell with his father. Right. He's in hell with his family. And every time you turn from the man of God and not heed to the message, thus saith the Lord, inevitably, destruction will take place. You're going to lose those kids. Your church is going to grow cold. The power of God is going to be lost. The Holy Ghost is offended. He's offended. That man of God have compromised. Mothers and fathers turn to the world. They don't care anymore. If I be a man of God, I want to go back. I want to listen to you preachers preach this week. I want you to help me, and I know you will. I want to go back home. I want to go back home with a freshness to be a man of God. It's obvious in 45 years or 40 years of pastoring that I don't know how to build a church. And I'm kind of glad it's that way because there's only one church builder, and that's God. So I want to go back and I want to get back in my same prayer place, open my same Bible, and I'll keep firing in the same hole and be encouraged that if there's going to be any change, God's going to have to do the change. That's right. Thank you, preacher, for the time you've given me to preach.